Thank you, Elder Sam, for that prayer. Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Pastor Albie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, for our first-time guests, welcome to church. Uh, for those who it's been a while, welcome back. And for us, those maybe checking us out, thanks for checking us out. Again, we want to just, uh, uh, just also, again, acknowledge the veterans and those in our military service. Thank you for your service. Uh, the pastors and I, this uh, week, Monday through Thursday, we were in St. Louis. Uh, amazing barbecue there. Uh, but we didn't go for the barbecue. We went for a uh, pastor's conference. It was the Cali uh, Conference, the National Gathering. Cali, that stands for the Korean American Leadership Initiative. Uh, and so uh, 30-some Korean American pastors gathered together uh, to dream for the future of our presbytery. Uh, we heard many amazing grace stories and why friendship is so important in ministry. It was an amazing, challenging time. A few of our pastors uh, gave seminars to other pastors. Uh, Pastor Huey, Bobby, uh, and uh, Pastor Sam, they uh, all spoke. And uh, Pastor Owen and I, we, we chilled. Uh, actually, Pastor Owen had to do a lot. Um, but it was an amazing time. Again, uh, after all that barbecue, I needed some, like, halangtang or something. and <laughs> uh, I, needed, I needed that healing from the bone broth soup. Um, but it was a great time. Uh, well, church, we, we've been in a series going through the book of Galatians. And the series title is called Getting the Gospel Right. This morning, I want you to know that we get the gospel right when we know what it means to be adopted in Christ. It's the theological term of the doctrine of adoption. And so the sermon title for this morning is Adopted in Christ. And we're going to be looking in Galatians 4, 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles or, or your Bible apps, turn to me to Galatians 4 and we will read this together. Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that uh, you would be with me, uh, that Holy Spirit, you'd use me to declare your word, your truth, with power, with joy, with hope. And would you be with all of us, that we would have the ears uh, to hear and the heart, uh, open hearts to hear the good news of the gospel this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, I... Remember always being compared to my dad. Uh, 
my grandma would joke that as a baby, uh, coming out of my mother's room, all she saw was this round thing with a huge nose. Uh, and it's kind of messed up now that I think about it, but she, was always, she always joked, a train could fit through your nose, a kicha could fit through your nose. I was like, dang, grandma, that's messed up. Uh, but it's because my dad, my dad has a big nose. Not only was I compared to my dad, but my dad had a profound impact on me. I wanted to be just like my dad. So, you know, uh, Halloween just passed by, but as a kid, uh, my dad was in the military. He was in the army, and uh, as a kid, I dressed up as a soldier. You know, I, I wanted to be just like my dad. I wore his, like, oversized uniform, and uh, my mom has a cleaners next to a military base, and so she's got all the, all the ribbons and medals, nothing that I earned, but it's like she has everything. So I was like a kid, like a, I was a general, you know. I was like, I had, I was, I was stacked. Uh, but that's, that's how much I wanted to be like my dad. My dad was a doctor, and so, yes, of course, you know, I had to study to become a doctor. Look, look what happened. Uh, but uh, as a kid, I, I cut out his hospital ID. I remember cutting out his face, and I remember pasting my own face onto his uh, hospital ID, and I would just wear that around with the stethoscope, and, you know, I would try to treat my brother and sister. Oh, what's wrong with you, you know? Uh, actually, he was a psychiatrist, so, oh, can you lie down? Let me, let me talk to me, you know? Let me prescribe you, you know? Uh, so that, I, I wanted to be just like my dad, and actually one of my fondest memories of my dad was coming home uh, when he would come home for, with Christmas gifts because uh, he traveled a lot. Now I'm currently receiving gifts from my, God, uh, my, my, my dad still, uh, and that is the gift of a receding hairline. Uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you, Dad. The truth is, we've all been impacted and shaped for better or for worse by our fathers. Right? We are defined by, for better or for worse, by our father's genes, uh, physically, our, the personalities. Uh, we are also labeled as, you know, daddy's girl, and some of us are uh, apatar, right? Or, or, oh, you are so-and-so's son. And we've also heard the phrase, the sins of our fathers, right? Secular philosopher Sigmund Freud, he believed that the origins of belief in God lay in the longing for a father figure, right? That's part of his seminal work. Uh, he says, psychoanalysis has made us familiar with the intimate connection between the father complex and belief in God. It has shown us that a personal God is psychologically in nothing other than an exalted father, and it brings us evidence every day of how young people lose their religious beliefs as soon as their father's authority breaks down. You see, even secular philosophy recognizes that there is this significant relationship that we have with our fathers. Maybe you haven't had a good earthly father. Maybe some of us never knew our fathers. It's been said that no son is without father wounds or no daughter is without uh, their father wounds. We all carry the baggage and wounds of our earthly fathers. 
Let me ask you, church, how have you, for better or for worse, been shaped or impacted by your father? Friends, the good news is no matter what or who your earthly father was or is, we all have a heavenly father. We've all been adopted into Christ. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. That's, that will tell you. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. You see, the Father is the Christian name for God. Therefore, friends, it's supremely important. It's deeply significant for all of us to know God as our Abba Father. Because God and Father are synonymous. God is our Father. So how do we know God as our Heavenly Father? It's through the doctrine of adoption, and it is through Christ. So this morning, we're going to look through three things today. And first is this, the gift of adoption, the meaning of adoption, what does it mean to be adopted, and last, the price of adoption. So the gift, the meaning, the price. So to understand the gift of adoption, you have to understand what we call sonship. And to understand sonship, you have to travel all the way back to ancient Roman slave market times and to, to an ancient wealthy household. And as we read in verse 1 through 3, Paul is using the illustration of a young child who is the heir to a great estate. You see in verse 1, the heir is a child and he's a minor. And Paul is saying he's no different from a slave. Because he's still subject to the guardians and the trustees. Right? The Roman child heir was a minor under guardianship until 14. And sometimes under the trustees until 25. And only then would he receive control over the father's estate. Why is this significant to know? Paul here is making the connection that as a young heir, they were, again, no different than a slave. This is the picture for all of us human beings, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We see that in verse 3. And Paul is saying that all human beings are spiritual slaves before Christ. We all are under the law. But what does God do? In verse 4, God sends his son. It is the gift of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we now, from his death on the cross, that we now receive the gift of adoption. Verse 4 through 5, let's read that again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friends, Christ accomplishes two things. He redeems us from the law and procures for us the rights 
of sons, the full rights of sons. Through Christ's death on the cross, we're redeemed from the law. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, uh, because, uh, by, uh, by becoming a curse for us. For a slave to be released from slavery from the owner, one must pay the full price of the slave. Christ's death was the atoning sacrifice that paid the debt that was ours to pay. Secondly, we receive sonship. Through Christ, we are all adopted into God's family. It's important to note that in verse 5, the Bible specifically says sons. Now, I want us to look at this uh, a little deeper. And some of you may go, well, shouldn't they include daughters? Right? Aren't we all children of God? Don't both genders receive the adoption? You see, there's some uh, translations, modern translations, that uh, want to be more gender sensitive. And instead of sons, it, it says children. However, commentators make the distinction that Paul is referring to sonship as a legal term and speaking of adoption as a legal institution. You see, in ancient Rome, a, a childless, wealthy man could take one of the servants and adopt him as his heir so that he could pass on his estate. And in ancient times, this was never done for women. Women weren't adopted. Men were adopted. That's why to be adopted literally meant that you were adopted into sonship. But Paul here has the audacity to use a legal institution for which only men were allowed to turn it around and say, God adopts us. He makes us, men and women, his heirs. He adopts us into his family. So when we read sons, yes, he's referring to both uh, sons and daughters. But the English translators, they're, they're, while trying to be uh, sensitive, they're missing out on the radical nature of what Paul is trying to say. Paul is saying, you know what? Yes, women in the Roman world could never be sons and heirs, but in Christianity, as a Christian, you can be. You are heirs. You are equal. So the gift of the adoption means that not only has Christ redeemed us from the law, but through Christ, we are now adopted into God's family and as sons and daughters and heirs. In justification, God declares us righteous, but in adoption, he declares us his. Right? The gospel says that only, not only have we been pardoned, but we've, all, all, we've also been given a reward, his blessing. It's as if you've been released from death row and from prison and you are free. But not only are you freed from prison, you're given and hung around your neck a congressional medal of honor. And you are welcomed as heroes as if you had accomplished extraordinary deeds. Matthew Smith says, the gospel changes heaven's courtroom proceedings from a criminal trial to an adoption ceremony. It's a ceremony. So 
What then does being adopted into Christ mean? What does it mean for us? Keller notes three things that we receive through adoption. It's first a new identity, unconditional access, and an inheritance. We receive a new identity, access to God, and an inheritance. All of us, maybe we've heard stories where a child was switched at birth or, or orphans who go on a journey to find their biological fathers or parents. Imagine, your parent, imagine with me, your, your parents are mean and critical. And you've always, been disappoint, you've always been a disappointment to them and they've disappointed you. But one day, you walk up into the attic and you discover Papers that prove that you had been abducted as a baby. These aren't your parents at all. They're, they're actually criminals. Oh, my gosh. You discover that your real mom was a Nobel Prize winning scientist and your dad was a professional baseball player. And you say to yourself, of course, of course, this explains everything. I'm extraordinary, right? I knew it all along. You also read that they were a wealth, fabulously wealthy because there's a $10 million reward for anyone that finds you. And so that means there is a lavish inheritance waiting for you. You see, such a discovery would cause you to reinterpret everything about your life, wouldn't it? Where you came from, who you are, who your true identity is, the resources available to you, your future, your destiny. And after that day, your life would never be the same. You would come down from that attic with new eyes for everything. Your whole life would feel changed, new, invigorated. It will be a whole new world, a new fantastic point of view, a dazzling place I never knew. I wanted to race. Okay, I'll stop. But here's the thing. It's always been true. It was the truth underlying your life even before you discovered it and you had the DNA to prove it. It was true while it was hidden from your sight, but it didn't change your life until your eyes were open to it. Friends, we receive a new identity a change of status. You see in verse 7, you are no longer a slave. You are a son and an heir through God. You see, when we find salvation in Christ, our eyes become open to the new reality. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the beauty of redemptive history. As believers, we are grafted into Christ's family. Our names are written in the book of life. Our citizenship changes. Recently, I, I had a friend receive her U.S. citizenship, and she said at the end there was a poignant moment when they called out all the nationalities and countries, and she said during the ceremony there were 31 different countries represented, 31 people from 31 different countries, and they're giving up their citizenship from their home countries. And my friend said this, it was baffling and amazing to think that people were giving up their foreign homes, their connections, their associations to assume U.S. citizenship. She said, 
Each person represented a story, and there, were, there was even a sense of grieving. And also there were many tears, many of whom were filled with a mixture of grief, but also the hope at the prospect of their new citizenship. And now as a citizen, they are afforded all the rights and privileges of a U.S. citizen friends. Just as a person who gets naturalized and becomes a citizen of a new country through Christ, when we put on faith in him, we get naturalized into Christ's kingdom. And we become citizens of heaven. And the gospel is not only that you, are, you become a citizen of heaven, but you get unconditional access to the Father. Verse 6, we read that God is referred to as Abba, Father. There is no direct translation for Abba. It's an Aramaic word used by children to talk to their parents. And even later on, they would still use the Abba to refer to their parents. Actually, uh, being Korean helps us understand this, actually. It's pretty close to Appa and Amma. Uh, we kind of use that as uh, daddy and mommy. And uh, as a kid, we, we used to, we, as a kid, we call our parents Appa and Amma. And some of us, as we get older, we still call our parents Appa and Amma. That's Abba. Uh, Abba means we not only have access to God, but we can have a deeply personal relationship with God. Thomas Goodwin, the old Puritan, tells this simple story about how he was walking along one day and he saw a father and a son walking ahead of him. And he couldn't quite hear what they were saying, what was being said. But at one point, the father turned and picked up the little boy and gave him a huge hug. And he said, I love you. And the little boy replied, I love you too, daddy. And then he set them down, set them down, and they kept on walking. Thomas Goodwin said, and he asked this question, was the child more a son when he was in the father's arms or when he was just walking beside him? No. You see, relationally, legally, that status never changed. But experientially, the boy was experiencing sonship, a relationship with the father. How many of you have had a conversation like this or heard a conversation like this in a movie? And it goes like this. A young person says, you never knew, you were never a father to me. And the man says, but you're my own flesh and blood. And they go, it takes more than that to be a father. You were never there for me. You were never really my father. Have you ever heard a conversation like that? Or maybe you have had a conversation like that. And the point is, yes, maybe you were my biological father. But that's not just what it means to be a father. To be a father means that you're there for them. In other words, we all believe the second part of the definition is more fundamental than the first. To be a father means to have a particular kind of relationship. The Bible feels the same way. If God is your father, it's not just that he created you. 
He wants a relationship with you. Right? Like the child whose dad picks him up and hugs him, we can experience sonship. We can experience the love and the presence of our Abba Father. Lastly, we not only receive a relationship with God, the Father, but we also receive an amazing inheritance. Romans 8 is a parallel passage to Galatians 3 and 4, uh, and I'm going to pick it up at uh, uh, Romans 18, and it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but ourselves groan inwardly as we wait Eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What is, what is Paul saying here? He's hinting at, he's telling us, our inheritance as a son of God, as a daughter of God, is glory. Sometime in the future, if you are a child of God, you will become glorified. And what does that mean when our time comes to leave this earth and die? Heaven awaits us. And in the new heavens and new earth, we will have perfect and resurrected bodies. Heaven will, heaven will be a place where there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. And instead, there will be shouts of joy and celebration. You see, friends, knowing our inheritance and what awaits us transforms, should transform how we live in this world and in this life. Pastor Rick Warren says this, your identity is in eternity and your homeland is in heaven. When you grasp this truth, you will stop worrying about having it all on this earth. Glory awaits us. Heaven is our inheritance. So friends, what is the price of our adoption? Did you know that there was only one time when Jesus talked to God and did not call God Father? Only one time. And do you know where it was? It was on the cross. It was on the cross when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Keller writes these profound words. Jesus is still loving God. He's still obeying God. But he doesn't say, Father, do you know why? You see, the Father is not protecting him. The Father is not showing his love. The Father is not there for him. The Father is not doing what a father should do. The Father is abandoning Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus got what we deserve. He got cast out of the family so that we could be brought in. He paid the price we deserve to be paying that we owe. Jesus Christ lost 
the sonship that he deserves so that we could have the sonship that we don't deserve. Jesus was cast out. He paid the ultimate price so that all of us could be brought in. That's the gospel. The price of our adoption was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want to close with one of the most beautiful examples of what it means to be adopted into Christ. I personally think it's one of the most beautiful examples of the gospel. And that is through our earthly process of adoption. You see, something beautiful happens when a family adopts a child. Giving a child a family means giving them hope, love, a sense of belonging. You see, that's what God wants for all of us. And so I asked a few of our church members who have adopted and who were adopted what adoption meant to them and how it impacted their view of God. And this is what they wrote. One father who adopted children said this, Adopting children was our only path to growing our family. Loving our children helped us appreciate God's love for us. As much as we try to love our children perfectly, it is an imperfect love. God's love is unconditional and perfect, and a perfect fatherly love. One brother who was adopted wrote, I've had to work through a lot of insecurities dealing with the worthlessness of being unlovable because my father left me. I have a hard time understanding God loves me just for me because my own father couldn't do that. So how can God? But seeing the action of what my parents are willing to do for me out of love though they aren't my biological parents, has been healing to my heart and my faith. Lastly, one other adoptee wrote this. The way I equate being adopted to my faith in Christ is that when I was most helpless, my parents and God reached out to me and gave me a new life that I did nothing to deserve. They both asked for nothing in return for this help. I see it as this. The unconditional love that my parents have for me can only be born from an inspired and by an all-loving father like God. Isn't that amazing? Adoption portrays the beautiful picture of our spiritual adoption in Christ. Just like these brothers who were adopted were helpless, they become adopted into Christ and receive now the relationship. We too receive that relationship with our Father. Today, maybe there may be some of us who don't know what it means to call God Abba Father. Maybe today you are feeling the weight of the world and the world's, uh, and what the world says you need to be. You are crushed by the anxieties and the worries of the world. Today maybe you're sitting here feeling like a fraud or a failure because you can't live up to the expectations of this world. 
Or maybe you find yourself involved in the wrong crowd or you're addicted to harmful things and you find yourself without hope, without joy in your life. There is no peace. Maybe you've thought dark thoughts about this world and that this world would be better off without you or you'd be better off without this world. Maybe today you find yourself depressed, lonely, and you're hurting. Dear friend, you need a new identity. You need a new family. You need a savior. And his name is Jesus. And the gospel says that while we were far off, while we were sinners, God would send his one and only son to die for us. To be the atoning sacrifice for our sins that we might have life and life to the fullest. Friend, would you believe in him today and put your trust in Christ? For those who already are in Christ, maybe today you need to be reminded of your Abba Father. There's an old song that goes, I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. Friend, God wants to hear from you today. Scotty Smith says this, God will use the pain in our lives to make us cry uncle, which means to admit defeat. To plead for mercy so that we might cry, Father. And one other pastor says, the world says, I screwed up. I can't tell my father. Christianity says, I screwed up. I have to go tell my father. Do you see the difference? Can I ask you today, right now, What do you need to go tell the Father? Are you in pain? Did you screw up? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need rest? Would you take a moment to enter into God's loving arms to your Abba Father and receive his grace and love today? Let us pray. Maybe as the worship team is coming up, Just take a moment. And go to the Father. What is it that you need from the Father today? Do you need to be reminded of his love? Do you need to be reminded that you are a child of God? Could we fall into the arms of grace this morning? Maybe that's for some of us we need to do that. Because we're too tired of standing. We need to fall into the arms of grace. We need to run to him like the prodigal son ran to the father. Because we know that in the father's arms there is security. In the father's arms there is hope. In the Father's arms is where we were created to be. 
You see, we are all longing for the Father's love. Even though maybe some of us may not have experienced that with our earthly father, we have a longing for the Father's love, and that was what we were created for. And so I ask you, church, come to the Father. Come to the Father. Come as his child and be welcomed into his loving arms. Lord, we thank you that you are our Abba Father. You've been gracious to us. Undeserved love. And we can trust in you because we know you are infinitely wise, infinitely loving, all-knowing. And your sovereign plan is good. May we put our hope and faith in you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand?